You're listening to the weekly podcast of Hope Community Church, where we desire to see people transformed by the love of Christ. Join us as we study God's Word together. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. We went a little beyond there. We jumped over it. Now I'm jumping back. The idea that I want to talk to you about this morning from 2 Corinthians 3 is it's simple and complicated all at the same time. How do you live life with the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you? What does that even look like? As a senior in high school, my family had recently moved. We moved from Minnesota to New Jersey and got a job for the first time in my life was actually making a little bit of money. And my parents, being the great parents they are, said to me, now you're heading towards adulthood. One of the joys of adulthood is you get to pay for stuff. So uh, we're not asking you to pay rent. We're not asking you to pay for the food. Just want you to know that now that you got a little bit of money in pocket, you know, when you're going out with your friends, when you want to do stuff, you want to buy clothes, that's on you. So off into a new venture in my life. I actually had a little bit of money in the bank now, and you got to make all these decisions, wait out. Well, this big decision came along a few months in. Most of my good friends were still back in Minneapolis, and during spring break, they invited me to come, and I got uh, the information about a ticket, and it was possible with the money I had, and so now i got to make a decision. So you're weighing this all out. Okay, can I do this? Whatever. I mean, this took me like two and a half, three weeks to try and weigh this out, figure out what was the right decision, and when you... You know, at that age, you're trying to figure out God's will. You're out playing basketball. You're on the free throw line. Okay, Lord, if this one goes in, I go. If it doesn't, no, that didn't work. Well, if I do this, <laughs> you've been there. So about three weeks in, I'm in the kitchen one day. My dad's in there, and I'm explaining to him. I'm just trying to make this decision, but I don't know what the wise thing to do is. So he stood there listening to me. He says, you want me to help you make the decision? I said, that'd be fantastic. You got a quarter? So I handed him a quarter. He flips it up in the air. He says, heads you go, tails you stay. Heads, you're out of here. Put the quarter back in his pocket. <laughs> Didn't really think about it that day. I have no idea if it was heads or tails. So what am I saying? If you want to know God's will, get a quarter. No, that's not what I'm saying. But this is what I'm saying. I think my dad knew what the wisest decision was. You don't have money, yeah, don't go. If you do have money, then you got to make a decision. Well, what do you do? If I was in his place, it's probably the decision I would have made. So he helped me make the decision. He helped me also see that sometimes we make mystical God's leading in our lives, and it's not always mystical. Sometimes it's just looking at what he said and doing But there are mystical things that happen. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. When we talk about the Spirit living in us, there's part of it that you can't explain. He he comes into us to transform us, to change us. and There's things that He does. You can't explain it. But the part that's not mystical is the way that you access that as you surrender to Him. You, You trust Him. You put your, your confidence in him, and as you do that, he lives out his life through you. And that's what he's talking about in 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
is that the Christian life, that ministry, they're not about being gifted. They're not about improving your behavior. Christian life and ministry happen as the life of God's Spirit is lived out through ordinary people that, that Paul calls jars of clay. That we have this treasure, this gospel, this Spirit of God, but he's living in us and we're jars of clay. End of chapter 3, he describes it like this. This is verse 18. He says this. But all of us, who are Christians, have no veils on our faces, but we reflect like mirrors the glory of the Lord. We are transfigured by the Spirit of the Lord in ever-increasing splendor into his own image. That when God's Spirit comes to live in us, in a jar of clay, through us, the glory and splendor of the Lord begins to be seen. Sometimes we miss it because his glory doesn't look like ours. God doesn't need to win American Idol to have value. He doesn't need fame. He doesn't need anything. His glory is not seen in the ways of men. His glory is seen in the love of the Father manifested in Jesus Christ. And that begins to live itself out in us. That's what he's saying. What does it look like to be filled with God's Spirit? What does it look like when God's glory lives in us? What is the evidence of that? How does that even happen? Well, that's what Paul is talking about in this chapter. He's talking about it because he's, he's writing a letter to a church of people that this church he had actually planted himself. He loved these people dearly. He's the one that led most of them to Christ. But since he left, there's a, a number of other people that have come along and kind of turn their hearts and they are now questioning his integrity, they're questioning his motivation, and he's reminding them, he's not defending himself to, to protect his reputation, he's trying to help them to see clearly what faith and life in Christ and the Spirit actually looks like. So the first picture he paints in, in verses 1 to 3, he talks about a letter written on people's hearts. They were valuing the praise of men. There were a number of people who had come to Corinth and they came with letters of recommendation from the, the religious leaders in Jerusalem or from this person or that person and they came claiming this is, I've come recommend. What is a letter of recommendation? Well, my daughter Angel has been for the last six months looking for a job. By God's grace, she started one this Wednesday. She's off to Chicago. But part of this process of looking for a job is they always want, give us some references. Give us somebody to recommend. So you find people that you think, okay, that, and they write a letter and say, this person is whatever. Why didn't they ask me? They didn't ask me because I'm her father, and I'm biased. So it doesn't really matter what I say, I'm biased. All these people were coming to Corinth with these letters of recommendation. Paul says, that's not what ministry is about. That's not what this is about. It's not about getting men to stand up and say, I'm this or I'm that. The only commendation that I need 
is what God has done in your life. And if that hasn't happened, I got nothing. You can send letters from wherever you want. If this is true, and what I preach to you is true, and that Jesus Christ has not only reconciled you to the Father, but has come to live in you and transform you, the letter is written in your hearts. So this is how he says it. Are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Do we, do I need, like some other people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? No. You yourselves are our letter, written on your hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. He's taking a picture from the Old Testament. Remember the prophet Jeremiah said, there is coming a day when this is not going to be written. The law is not going to be written on tablets. It's going to be written on flesh, on the hearts of men and women. And that's what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about this old covenant and this new covenant. And in, in the old covenant, the law was written on stones. But he said now it's written by God's spirit in people's lives. So faith is not about doing a certain number of things or saying a certain number of things, it's an inner transformation that happens in people's lives into the likeness of Jesus. So Paul is saying to them, my ministry was not about getting you to do something. It was about you learning to allow God's spirit to live his life through you. What gives credibility to my ministry, he's saying, is not human success. It's God's spirit. So, Working in Paul in such a way that fruit is happening in the life of other people. That's what happens when God's spirit comes to live in someone. A couple weeks ago, Ellen and I were in D.C. and we went one morning to the Holocaust Museum. If you've been there, it's profoundly moving. Since then... Uh, been reading different things, historians, just to learn more. I was reading something interesting a couple weeks ago. Uh, this is uh, a German officer that was a guard in one of these concentration camps. And this is after the war. He's looking back, and this is his observation. He said, day after day, the trains would come into the camp. And if you go to the museum, you see these train cars where these packed hundreds and thousands of people, and they'd pull into these camps and, and herd the people out. And he said, every day you would see the people get off the train, and they were all the same. They all acted the same. They were totally desperate, clinging to one another, terrified. But he said, once they, they got there, and a week went by, and two weeks went by, they started to look different. The people who had no faith began to be overcome by despair. But the people who had faith, and especially the ones who followed Christ, something changed. They began not only to live in a really dark place with hope, but they began to love the people around them and, and serve the people around them in a really dark place. 
That's the Spirit of God. Only He can do that. So He says, when the Spirit writes that on somebody's heart, that's, that's the commendation that, that God is here. So He said, it's written on people's hearts. A number of times in this letter, Paul says that the letter that's in all of our lives is best read when the pressure is on. It's when we walk through trials and suffering that the letter of our life is most articulately read. And it's in those moments that the glory of God by his spirit is seen. Talks about the letter written on people's hearts. Now he goes on in verses 4 to 11 to talk about another letter. It's not written on people's hearts. It's written on stone. He's referring to the, the revelation that was given to Moses of God's law, and God literally carved it onto stones. We call it the Ten Commandments. This is what he says. Such confidence we have through Christ before God. Not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves. Our competence comes from God. He has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant. Not the letter, but of the Spirit. Hear this. The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry that brought death, which was engraved in letters on a stone, came with glory so that the Israelites could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of its glory, transitory though it was, will not the ministry of the Spirit be even more glorious? If the ministry that brought condemnation was glorious, how much more glorious is the ministry that brings righteousness? For what was glorious has no glory now in comparison with the surpassing glory. And if what was transitory came with glory, how much greater is the glory of that which lasts? And all of you are going, what does that mean? Well, this is what it means. He's saying, I'm a minister of Christ. I have no competence in me. The only competence I have is this new covenant. This new covenant is something that God by his spirit does inside of somebody else. The old covenant was not written in people's hearts. It was written on stone. This is what happened. Moses, who was the spokesperson for God's people, went up on the mountain to meet with God. And while he was meeting with God, God on stone engraved his law. We call it the Ten Commandments. And he said it was so glorious that the face of Moses started to glow. You're going, what was glorious about the Ten Commandments? What's glorious is it's really not commandments. It's, it's a revelation of who God is. You want to know what God's like? Well, nobody knew. So he revealed himself. And this is how he revealed it. We, every 10 seconds, turn away from God and turn towards something else. God's not like that. He never does that. He doesn't ever lie. He doesn't ever cheat. He doesn't ever steal. 
He doesn't ever covet what he does. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He doesn't have to. Because where he is, it's all holy and right. It's so beautiful. And when Moses saw it, can you imagine if somebody lived like that? You don't have to. Jesus did it. And it's so beautiful. And when Moses saw it, it was so glorious that his face started to shine. Here's the bummer. It's beautiful, but you can't do it. The law is gorgeous, but it's impossible. So it actually brings death. It actually shows you how far short you fall, and there isn't a thing you can do about it. You're powerless. If you don't believe me, you haven't read the Old Testament. They tried for centuries, and they couldn't do it. So, he says there was his glory revealed in the law, but it brings death. He's saying that because there were people coming to Corinth who were calling them back to the law. You're going, oh, nobody would ever do that. Well, yeah, it's still happening today. The law actually makes a lot of sense. A lot of people preaching the law. A lot of churches preaching the law. It even sounds really biblical. But it always leads to death. It's a message that kills. The law kills by producing hypocrisy. In particular danger are those who have been raised in environments and churches where the law was front and center. They were taught how to behave. They were taught how to follow these rules. And they became really good at it. So good that they never noticed how deceitful and bent their own hearts were. So they've become judgmental, obnoxious, and they bring death. When I graduated from college, I, I didn't grow up in a legalistic church, but I did grow up in a church where I learned how to, how to love people, how to be kind, how to do the right thing. How to, I could do that stuff without really even thinking about it. Graduated and I moved to Hong Kong to work with a group that was working with Vietnamese refugees. And for the first time, I was living in a place where nobody knew me. And all of a sudden, I started to see these things in my heart that weren't pretty. In fact, they were ugly. Don't worry, they're in all of your hearts, too. But here's the choice that you face. You go, I'm going to hide that stuff, and I'm going to keep all these rules, and nobody's ever going to know. And you know what happened? You just pronounced your death. It kills. Because you've got to be a hypocrite. It, it can also kill by bringing despair. When, when what is preached is just exterior behavior and morality, it produces in lots of people despair. People who aren't able to keep all the rules. People who aren't able and don't compare well to other people. What does the law bring to them? Despair. 
I can't do this. I, I can't live up to it. The letter kills. The person who's saying this is the Apostle Paul. He was a doctor of the law. In fact, in his day, there was probably nobody that knew the law more than he did. Among the Pharisees, he was the greatest. You know what it did? Made him kill people. That's what he did. That's what the law does. You got to kill people because they're not living up to the law. And then one day he was on the road to Damascus, and that's what he was going to do. He was going to persecute people. And on the road, a light came from heaven, and it stopped him right in his tracks. And Jesus spoke to him, and he said, why are you persecuting me? He didn't say, why are you persecuting those people? He said, why are you persecuting me? And that day on the road, the heart of this man was melted. And into his heart came not the law, but the Spirit. The Spirit gives life. The last picture in here it talks about is that when, when that happens, there is a glory that is reflected, God's glory, in us. The glory that transforms us is not a power that we possess. It's rather a person who possesses us. You want to know God's glory in your life? He'll bring it. If, if you allow. But I got to remind you that you're just a jar of clay. If you don't believe me, let me read it to you. Verse 12. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We're not like Moses, who had put a veil over his face to prevent the Israelites from seeing the end of what was passing away. But their minds were made dull. For to this day, the same veil remains when the old covenant is read. Do you hear that? When all you got is the law, he says you can't actually see. It's like you, you can't see it. The veil hasn't been removed because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is spirit. So Paul says what happens is that as we allow God's spirit to live in us, through us, we begin to reflect his glory. What does it look like? Well, you're just a jar of clay. It, it is not extraordinary because of you. It's because of the beauty that it carries. Let me put it like this. All of us are getting older. Some of us more so than others. We're, we're farther down the road. 
If you don't believe you're a jar of clay, you're not old enough yet. The older you get, the more you know. I'm just a jar of clay. All those glorious things that I used to be able to do. Can't run that well anymore. Can't sing that well anymore. I can get hurt sleeping. <laughs> it's true. This tent, this physical body is wasting away. We can fool ourselves when we're younger. We can think that this jar is really amazing. It's not. It's only what's in it that can make it glorious. So he says, this outer body is literally fading away. But for those who live in the spirit, the spirit is literally transforming the interior into ever-increasing glory. I love the way Robert said it last week. It's like this thing is falling off and this thing is just growing and one day it's just going to walk right into his presence. Before we went to D.C., we spent a couple days in the Shenandoah Mountains and we were staying in this place way up on the side of a mountain and at nighttime up there, there's no artificial light. So when you sit out on the deck and there's no clouds and you look up, oh my goodness, it's like you're sitting in God's theater. <laughs> it's just beautiful. And it just happened to be at the time of the full moon, it's the hunter's moon, it's just this beautiful thing. That is amazing. But if you think it's too amazing, you weren't here 50 years ago when a couple guys stepped on the moon. It's just a bunch of dirt. There ain't nothing beautiful there. Nothing. It's a clay pot. The only reason it has any glory is when it reflects the light of the sun. So there's times it's hanging in the sky. You don't even know it's there because it's got nothing. It's just got dirt. But the more it puts itself in the line of the glory of the sun, it begins to reflect beauty. And Paul is saying, as you allow God's spirit to take control, to possess you, it begins to show a glory that only could come from him. We went to the Holocaust Museum. It was a very sobering thing to me. It was a very scary thing. I got lots of German blood in me. It's not a pretty story. And I'm walking through thinking, what if I would have been alive then? What if I, I would have been there? Would I have acted any differently? Would, would I have done any differently? I don't know. What happened? Any of us are capable of that. And it isn't pretty. So you're walking through, and part of it is telling the stories of different people. We got to the end, and there's a little bookstore there. And in the bookstore, there's, there's books of different people who lived through the Holocaust and who told the story about it. One of them, uh, you may have heard of it. It's called The Hiding Place, written by Corey Tenboom. Corey Tenboom family lived in Holland uh, during the Second World War. They, just a, a simple family, but 
made a place in their house, a hiding place where Jews who were being pursued by the Nazis could hide until they could get to the next place. And, and over a number of years, they were able to help numerous families and then it got found out and one day the, the Nazis were at their door and they were all arrested and put on the train and sent off to camps. She was separated from her parents. Her and her sister Betsy ended up together in Ravensbrück camp and later her sister died there. If you read The Hiding Place, it tells the whole story. This is years after now. It's after the war ended and she's now traveling into Germany, Corrie Ten Boom, and, and ministering in churches and inviting people to receive the unbelievable forgiveness of God. She tells this story. One night she's in Munich, 1947. The service ends. People are walking out and she said, it's that moment that I saw him, a man. He was walking my way, coming against the crowd. The moment I saw him, I saw his overcoat and the brown hat, and then the next thing I saw a flashback, the same man wearing a blue uniform, a visored cap with a skull and crossbones, a guard, one of my tormentors at Ravensbrook. Now he was standing in front of me. He put out his hand to shake mine, and he said to me, that was a fine message, Fräulein. How good it is to know that as you say, all of our sins are not only forgiven, but God has thrown them to the bottom of the sea. And she says, I, who had spoken so glibly of forgiveness, fumbled in my purse rather than taking his hand to shake it. Probably doesn't even remember me. Of course he doesn't. How could he remember one prisoner among thousands? But I remembered him. I remembered the leather crop swinging from his belt. And here I was, face to face, with one of my captors, and my blood seemed to freeze. He said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. He said, I, I was a guard there. Clearly, he didn't remember me. But he said, since that time, I, I've become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things that I did. But I would like to hear that from your lips as well. And he put out his hand again and he said, Fräulein, will you forgive me? She says, I stood there. I whose sins had again and again needed to be forgiven and I couldn't forget. My sister died in that place. Could, could just this simple ask for forgiveness wipe away the terrible thing that had been done? She said, it couldn't have been more than seconds that we stood there, him with his hand held out, but to me it seemed like hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. But she said, I had to do it. I knew I had to do it. The message that God gives is that God forgives, but it has a prior condition, that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive, the text goes on to say, Men, forgive men their trespasses. Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive you. I knew that as a command of God, but now I was living it in daily experience. Since the end of the war, I had opened a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. Those who came, who were able to forgive their former enemies, were able to also return to life outside in the world and rebuild their lives no matter how much the pain. But those who nursed their bitterness remained invalid. It was as simple and horrible as that. But I still stood there, 
with coldness clutching my heart. I reminded myself that forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew it. Forgiveness is an act of the will. A will that can override the temperature of the heart. So I whispered to God's spirit, help me. I will lift my hand if you will do the rest. She lifted her hand and she said, woolenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the others. As I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder and it raced down my arm. It sprang into my, into my elbow and it enjoined my hand. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing my eyes to tears. I forgive you, brother, I cried with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. I had never known God's love as intensely as I did at that moment. That's what it looks like when the Spirit of God comes to live in a jar of clay. The law kills. Why were they killing people? Because they thought that there was a group of people that was better than everybody else, that were actually doing a good thing. It always kills. But the Spirit comes and he does something totally different. And somebody who will surrender to him, he takes and makes into this beautiful, glorious thing. How does that happen? It happens, it's not magic, it's surrender. As you surrender to what he said and what he asked, what he invites you to do. I'm not going to tell you it's easy. It's not. But a beautiful thing happens. His spirit begins to transform us and make us look like the very son of God. We're going to sing in closing, and it's an invitation. The song is an invitation to God's spirit to just come. I want to use that as a prayer this morning. You know what you have to do if you want God's spirit to fill you? You gotta ask. He doesn't go, oh no, no, no. I don't. Yeah, I, I would love to come and fill you. But you, that's what you gotta want. And that's what this song is it's a prayer. Let me pray for us as the team comes and we'll sing this as a closing prayer. Father, who are we <laughs> that the living God would not only wanna forgive us and have a relationship with us, but would wanna teach us? how to live and how to portray the very glory of the one who came for us, who gave himself for us. Holy Spirit, be with us in these moments and speak to us. Give us ears to hear you. If there's places that we've been resisting you or just not extending forgiveness or holding on to something, would you... Speak to us in these moments and give us the courage, Lord Jesus, to allow you, by your spirit, to continue the transforming work that you have started. In Jesus' name, amen.
We pray that God will use this message to draw you deeper into a meaningful relationship with Him. Hope Community Church is located in Olmstead Falls, Ohio. If you would like to find out more about our church, please visit us at hopeolmstead.org.